We're back with episode 19 of the Insignificant Others podcast. We're back, baby. With me, as always, I'm Brett Featherston. I've got Rob Flint with me. Hey, Brett. How you doing? It's good to be back. It's, it's been a very long time since it's, we've, we've graced the podcasting airwaves of the United States of America. It's been way, way too long. April it, it, 3rd. And you know, so our podcast, it's coming up here in a little bit. You're going to love it. It's with Sam Torn, who's the owner of, among other things, he's the owner of Camp Ozark. But he has also got a very important uh, breakfast coming up on March the 1st, the 5th Annual Dallas Ozone AM Breakfast. You can get your tickets by going to www.ozoneministries.com slash Dallas. Sam Torn is, is going to be the speakers there, speaker there, and that is the primary fundraiser for Ozone Ministries. But it's really good to be back. It and, is good. You know what? I'll, I'll just go out there and go ahead out there with it. And I'm going to blame you for the fact that we've had such a long layoff. Yes, it's your fault. It is It is my fault. It's, for no it's reason, me, but it's you. you. Yeah. It's, I, this is the first time I've ever said those words to a man. <laughs> uh, no, but it is my fault. I, I, I had went on a uh, temporary sabbatical. Um, a lot of my personal time was uh, taken up, and now that has been... What's your other charitable? The, uh, <laughs> philanthropy, your philanthropy is, you know, takes up a lot of time. Oh, it, it does. I give too much sometimes, and it hurts. But, but no, in all seriousness, uh, that, that, that obligation is no longer, and so uh, now, I'm, now I'm free to podcast with you. And I'm excited about you know, not only this podcast, but some of the other guests that are going to follow after. Yes, yes, yes. So a couple things about this podcast with Sam Torn. One, we did this over the phone. This is the first time we've done it over the phone, so we recorded it via Skype. So I apologize if the recording quality is not uh, as great as it should be. There's a couple times that I think that our cellular signals kind of faded out. But, but should we now, I think this is a great time to mention the enhancement, the, the, the makeover that we are are have gone or now going through right now. So do you want in the midst of it? You please. Yeah. Well, so let me let me be the first to say that we are moving on up, and we are now recording and will record in the future in, in an actual studio. We're actually sitting here now as we talk in a soundproof room. I think I think my wife has been waiting to put me in a soundproof room for at least 20 years since we've been married. We may need to, Kevin, if we can, occasionally like have a dog barking in the background just to make us feel at home. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll throw in some sound effects for you. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> I'll, I'll pepper a few of those in. We have a producer now. We do. He's like our Danny. He's our Groobs. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy on Howard Stern? Let me be the guy. As long as you don't call me Gary. Yeah, yeah Gary. 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 Bye, 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 bye. Yeah. I'd much rather be an Artie, but you know, whatever. <laughs> So yes, we are in a studio here now with like professional equipment and everything. This is this is this feels really uh, awkward. So we started. I mean, just for those people who don't know, we would record our podcasts in your kitchen. Yep. And we record them. I think every one of them except for two, we recorded them at night, late at night, because just you know the you want quiet area and the kids are not walking through the house, wife's not walking in and out, so. Um, you know, one, one benefit of the hiatus is we were blessed to find Kevin, and uh, this is a, a very impressive setup, and, and hopefully the, the quality of the podcast, and I'm not referring necessarily to the content, but like the audio quality and all that other stuff, uh, our, our, our listeners will uh, appreciate. 
Yeah. And I promise you, as the quality goes up, the content goes up as well. It's, just, it's, it's a mindset oh. kind of thing. I, mean, <laughs> I like that. You guys are like only going to get better. If you say it, Kevin, then it must be true. Uh, yes. Uh, all right. So we recorded this with Sam Torn prior to Christmas. So now it's, what, January 7th? Yes. 6th? Yes. 7th, 6th? 7th. Uh, we recorded this with Sam Torn uh, immediately prior to Christmas, uh, and he's got the Dallas Ozone Ministry breakfast coming up March first. So that's going. So please listen to this. You'll you'll see that Sam is a uh, is a great guest. He's got a lot of insight on a lot of different things, from raising children to what was going through his mind as a successful lawyer to say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to drop my practice and just go buy a, a camp yeah. for kids." But yeah. But going into the uh, now that we're in January, we're now in the award season. Yeah, Golden Globes are tonight or tomorrow night. I don't know. I uh, think they're tonight. Tonight, okay. Seth Meyers kind of gets on my nerves yeah. a lot, but but we were talking just immediately prior to this about the movie Dunkirk. Dunkirk is up for so many awards. Yes, and I saw that over the holidays. Uh, holidays, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't get it. Afterwards, I, get it. I was like, "Wait, am I, I'm missing something." I don't. I, there, there wasn't any there. There, you're you're not missing anything because I completely agree. I watched the movie with uh, with my wife over the holidays, and it just so happened that our kids were out at the time, and I was excited because I like Christopher Nolan, and the actors that are in it are are great actors. Yeah. And uh, fired the movie up, watched it, and about 20 minutes in, I'm like, "What? What? What is going on?" I couldn't tell who was who. Um, they would cut up, you know, from the the the, the pilot in the plane, you know, down to the the man in the boat trying to save the soldiers, to the soldiers on the beach, and I was just, you know, majorly confused. And that's one of the best movies of the year. Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's the other thing: is you look at the best movies of the year, you take Dunkirk out of the mix. I don't think I've seen any of them. I don't think that I have either. Now, although. I have heard there are lots of good movies out right now. I have not seen them, but I, you know, I hope that at least they're better than Dunkirk. Yeah, the well, they uh, if that I don't know. It, it's I think sometimes it's too artsy and yeah. it's just beyond my capacity for that. Yeah. Um so how was your Christmas I think you're by the way? yourself short, but anyway. Yeah. How was your Christmas? My Christmas was was great. You know, okay. So th- this is this is something that that I want to talk about. This is kind of just something that popped in my head. So your thoughts on when you see someone that you haven't seen, let's say for a few days, maybe even a week or so, whether it's in your personal life or your professional life, and the first kind of auto response or words out of your mouth is, "So hey, Brett, how are the holidays? Did you stay here? Did you go anywhere?" Like I have literally yeah. said that. Like or had that same conversation fifty times, and I sit there thinking, do they hate this as much as I do? And I don't mean that they're not being nice and and wanting to know what my holidays were like, and I want to know what their holidays were like. But it's like the default response at this time of the year. Yeah, it's. I think what I usually. Great, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Did you stay here? Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. We stayed great, here. Yeah. Did you Did you get some good? You know, did you relax? You know, does. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, dude. Yeah, it's 
So you're saying you had a good holiday? I, I, I had a great <laughs> holiday. My Christmas was great, but thanks for asking. How was yours? How was your Christmas and New Year's? Great, great. Thank you. Great. But here's yeah. to throw people off. I almost <laughs> kind of want to just break into this. Yeah, my my holidays really, really, really stunk. My dog died. My <laughs> wife left me. I got fired from my job. My kids won't and talk to me. Cut off my shoulder. Yeah, still waiting for the news exactly. back from the doctor. Other than that, things yeah, were great. But thank you for asking. Yes. Yeah. You're so nice. It's like when when somebody asks you, "Hey, how you doing?" They really don't. They don't know. care because that's my my go to. As I see somebody, it's like, "Hey, how you doing?" I don't really care how they're doing. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds harsh and makes me sound, but like it's it. the Not truth, a nice person. But it's just it's filler. It's filler is what it is. Yeah. No. Well, speaking of filler, if if and and what people tell us, I think that one thing that we talked about that that is near and dear to our hearts is the fact that um, it appears that there are several people who do listen to us and and enjoy our podcast. And I know you have, but but in my case, I've I've run across a number of people recently who who have approached me and said, "Hey, Rob, you know, when are you and Brett doing another podcast?" And we like them and we enjoy listening to them and. And and I can't thank those folks enough for for wanting to listen to our podcast. It certainly isn't about us; it's about the guests that we have on our show. Um, and I think that speaks volumes. But but just I personally want to give a, a big shout out to uh, our friends and those folks that we don't even know who take the time to listen to our podcast. Absolutely, it's uh, it's humbling when people come up. Hey, I love it, and I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, and they do. So it's. Uh, it's great to be back doing it, but I'll tell you, when somebody comes up to me and says, when are you doing the next one? And I, I say, whenever Rob will get around to it. I keep bugging him. <laughs> well, <laughs> I no throw more. you under the bus all no the time. No more. No more. I'm back. And you know what? I think everybody is going to love this podcast. Sam Torn uh, really was a great guest. He's got a lot of great insight. The into insights, how- oh, by the way, I don't mean to interrupt, but I mean, the, 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 the big golden nugget of this podcast is toward the end when he gives advice to parents on 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 child rearing and it's based on just him being around children uh, and families for many many years and he himself has uh, a wonderful large family so it it really is wonderful advice absolutely I actually wrote those down but you'll have to wait and listen to them and uh, one of the big things that Sam is promoting here is the fifth annual Dallas Ozone AM. It's on March 1st at Dallas Country Club. It starts at 8 a.m. Please, uh, Sam will be the keynote speaker. You can go get your tickets or sponsorships at www.ozoneministries.com slash Dallas. Past speakers have included Jason Garrett, Clayton Kershaw, Clint Bruce, Clint Bruce, and others. But I think you're going to love this podcast. So, uh Hopefully it won't be nearly as long until the next no, one. It'll be very soon. Enjoy our time with Sam Torn. Hi, Brett and Rob are back with another episode of Insignificant Others Podcast. Our guest today is Sam Torn. Sam Torn is the owner of Camp Ozark as well as the founder of Ozone Ministries. And pretty much the uh, the resident Aggie in charge. Podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Thank you. So, I'm delighted to be on. So I, I, I just wanted to start by, by asking you a very simple question. In, in 1985, you're in Houston. You're a successful lawyer. And you decide to buy and run Camp Ozark. 
Can you explain what was uh, kind of your, your thought process and all of that? Sure. I think basically uh, two things. I'm a kid guy and I'm a camp guy. And I was a father, very involved in my kids' activities. I was also practicing law. I was a litigator, which was far from being involved with kids. <clears throat> and the opportunity presented itself uh, to purchase a struggling summer camp that I had a particular affinity for because I had gone there as a little boy when it was a baseball camp and worked there as a staff member when it was a baseball camp. And so I was very familiar with it. And when the opportunity presented itself, kind of surprisingly, uh, I bought it in five minutes over the telephone and went home and told my wife, dear, we've made a slight career change. Did the, did the seller... <laughs> what was her reaction? Well, my wife is a saint. <laughs> so, uh, her reaction was, well, uh, okay, if that's what you want to do, and... Uh, we went from there. Now, I can tell you that her original thought was we had a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 5-year-old at the time. And her original thought was she would just come to camp and kind of take care of our 5-year-old. But we made a significant number of changes that first summer, and one of those was in our uh, food service, and, and we wanted to really improve that. <clears throat> and when she got to camp with our three kids, the food service lady told her she wasn't doing any of that stuff, and she walked out, and so... Uh, for the next seven or eight years, my wife was suddenly the food service manager, the health center coordinator, the uh, home away from home mom, and uh, someone who was still trying to keep our family afloat. So it's been a, a journey, a partnership the whole way, and uh, it's been a blessing to us. So it, it, my kids have all gone to uh, Camp Ozark. And so I've got to ask, and I don't know if, if you're actually associate with one tribe or the other, but do you are you a Caddo or an Osage? I'm an Osado. Osado. <laughs> I'm an Osado. When we uh, when we initiated uh, what's called tribal competition at Camp Ozark, I made my oldest son a Caddo. My middle son, an Osage, so there wouldn't be any favoritism. My daughter, who was too young at the time to be in a cabin, wound up in a cabin for the first time with the Osage chief, so she became an Osage. But uh, as for myself and my wife, we're Osado, and our tribal color is purple. <laughs> Just blue and red completely. That's right. So now you live in Houston outside of the summer, right? How often are you in Arkansas? Uh, we travel back and forth on a regular basis. Uh, all of my three kids are now actively involved in the management of Camp Ozark, so they travel back and forth as well. Uh, we have about 25 employees that live at Camp Ozark year-round, but we also have about 25 that live in Houston uh, year-round, and so we kind of split time. Uh, traveling back and forth. So was there a time when you and your wife first purchased the camp and then, you know, you get there and you kind of look at each other and shrug your shoulders and say, what have we gotten ourselves into? Just just given the amount of work, I'm sure it was immense. But but was there a second guessing saying, you know, I wish I could go back and be a full-time lawyer in Houston? No, there was never any 
second guessing that wasn't easy. I'll tell you that right now. It, it was by far the most difficult uh, thing we had done. Many, many long nights, all nighters. You know, for myself, it meant time away from my family in the off season recruiting. But from the minute that we started running Camp Ozark, <clears throat> my wife knew that for me, for sure, that I had just found my my place. And uh, I have a passion for, as I said before, for camping and for kids. And it just, uh, uh, it's just always been more of a, uh, uh, it's just been more fun and more excitement than it, I would have, than I would consider it work. So how, how many kids attend Camp Ozark uh, during the course of a summer? And then if you know the number, just roughly how many kids from the Dallas-Fort Worth area attend Camp Ozark? About 6,500 kids attend Camp Ozark throughout the course of the summer, and they come from about 35 states and about seven or eight countries outside the United States. Dallas has recently passed uh, Houston as our uh, largest market uh, for campers, and of course it's in the 1,500 or so range. I don't have the exact number. Of course, I have to ask the question: Which is the uh, what is the farthest location that um, a kid has has come to uh, Camp Ozark? Uh, I would say Japan. We've had several campers from Japan. Wow! Well, wow, that's fantastic. So, uh, so I know the Camp Ozark, uh, and this is my description of it. It's it's uh, faith based fun. And I know that out uh, from Camp Ozark, you founded Ozone Ministries. Can you share with us how uh, Ozone Ministries came to be and what it does? I can. <clears throat> For several years, parents had asked me uh, if there's anything we could do to take the Camp Ozark experience home. Uh, with the kids or send it home with the kids. And sometimes they were kind of speaking in jest, but oftentimes they were very serious. They were, you know, wondering if there's some of the great influence and impact they got from the wonderful college age students could somehow be translated to a more consistent basis back home. For several years, I resisted that for two reasons. One, I didn't want to be uh, duplicative. I didn't want to do something that other people were already doing just to do it. And two, uh, without sounding too uh, holy or humble, I, I really didn't want to do anything that would um, be done to particularly benefit the business side of Camp Ozark. But after after several years, I had enough families say, "Look, you know there is a need for this," so we just set out and uh, said, "If there's a need for it, we'll start in our two largest camper base cities, Houston and Dallas." And uh, we'll go talk to families and, uh, you know, we'll form a nonprofit and, and uh, we'll see if we can get these things going. And so that's kind of what we did. And, you know, we had a goal the, when we founded Ozone in 2004. We had two goals and we have the same two goals now. And one of those uh, was to uh, be a place where kids could mature in their faith. And the second one was to be a place where they could uh, kind of or uh, where we could be a part of building a wall around them so they wouldn't get uh, exposed or not necessarily exposed, but wouldn't fall into some of the negative peer pressure uh, things that exist 
you know, in the world today. It's tough. It's tough to be a teenager in the world today with all the technology and and all those sorts of things. So we wanted to do those two things, and that's what we still want to do. Well, my daughter, my daughter is uh, Brett, and I both have daughters who are uh, in the seventh grade, so twelve, thirteen years old, and and my daughter participates in Ozone Ministries here in Dallas, and um, she really enjoys the time that she gets to spend um, with the folks who run it here in Dallas. So you guys do a great job. Yeah, well, thank you, and I think uh, Ozone, you know, your description was really good, faith-based fun. We try and do the same thing with Ozone. Well, and I, I should uh, point out, too, that on March 1st in Dallas, at the Dallas Country Club, you will be speaking at the 5th Annual Dallas Ozone AM, which is, uh, I believe, the largest fundraiser for Ozone Ministries in Dallas. And you're speaking, and past speakers have included Jason Garrett and Clayton Kershaw and Clint Bruce. So, uh, you know, with, with Clayton Kershaw and Jason Garrett, you've got some stiff competition there. Well, I don't think uh, I can compete with those guys in terms of notoriety or certainly uh, athletic prowess. But just like uh, uh, them probably, I'm not sure about Clayton, you know, I'm a dad. I've been a dad for a long time, and I'm also very, very, um, you know, I, I have a clear understanding of kids. I spend a lot of time with a lot of different kind of kids. So hopefully I can bring something to the table that will be helpful to the folks at the, at the breakfast. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, it should be a great event. Uh, I know a lot of people that have participated in these in the past, and it's, it's, uh, it's a fun event, but it's also for a great cause. So, again, that's March 1st at DCC, the 5th Annual Dallas Ozone AM. If any of our listeners would like to get tickets and attend, they can go to ozoneministries.com slash breakfast or ozoneministries.com slash Dallas. Now, speaking about athletic prowess, um, I would like to kind of go back in time a little bit to, because I know you're a huge supporter for Texas A&M, and you were a yell leader there, and you played baseball. Um, and, and, you know, not only did you get your undergraduate degree, you got a master's degree, and then your JD also. So. three things you have a very right now in in order it would probably be uh, i have a very patient understanding supportive wife number two uh i have a great Anything different from anybody else? Just to enjoy being involved. So, what position did you play in baseball? I was a catcher. And, and so, 
uh, I want to talk about some of the things that you're doing at ANN now, because if you go online, you're listed uh, at least, uh, if not formally, informally by a lot of people as one of the biggest boosters and supporters of ANN athletics. Um, and, and so I know that you're active in that. And AM just got a new football coach with Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. So you've got to be excited about the football program for the next year. Well, I've been a passionate Texas Aggie since I was seven years old. Uh, my dad was an Aggie, and I idolized my dad. And, of course, I love athletics. I love what it teaches kids. I love what it teaches adults, quite frankly, uh, or can teach adults. So, yes, I'm excited about all the things we've done to put ourselves in a position to be able to compete, uh, to be the very best. And uh, college athletics is, uh, does a lot of great things for young people. Uh, I can tell you sometimes we get our priorities out of whack in college athletics, just like we do everything else. But when done properly, uh, it's a great outlet. Uh, it brings, at Texas A&M anyway, it brings the students, alumni, faculty, everyone together. Uh, so moving into the SEC, developing all the new facilities, building the new stadium, uh, and now hiring uh, Jimbo uh, makes for an exciting time. And it also says, hey, we don't have any excuses. We've, we've done every, we checked every box. So it's time for us to roll. So it's going to be fun to uh, be a part of that. Well, it's, it, the, the SEC West is, is setting up to be a, a major gauntlet with Saban and Malzahn and now uh, Chad Morris going to Arkansas and with Fisher at A&M, it's going to be that that's that's an incredible roster of coaching talent and success. So it'll be it'll be exciting to watch, but it's it's not going to be easy for sure. Well, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. Absolutely. So why not start in your own conference? So, and and you don't have to answer if you're not allowed to or you can't. But were you involved? in the decision to uh, to vet the head coaches or to to say, hey, we want Jimbo? Well, I would, I would just say this. I've been fortunate enough to be a part of Texas A&M Athletics. We have a, a, a procedure through proper channels, proper university governance that was followed explicitly, that was led by our athletic director, Scott Woodward, and, and he did a wonderful job. And, and uh, he had the support and uh, appreciation of those that are close to the program like me and, and those that aren't as close to the program. I will tell you this much. Uh, the guy that left Texas A&M was a good man. Yeah. And a good friend. Uh, and uh, he played a huge role in bringing us into the SEC and, and getting us to a level where we needed to be to take the next step. And I'm forever appreciative of Kevin Sumlin, as as well as Mike Sherman, who's a wonderful man who preceded him. Now, is am, uh, am I wrong? Is the practice field at uh, A&M, is that Sam Tornfield? No, you're wrong. You're I'm wrong. wrong. Okay. Wrong. Yeah. No, maybe I, maybe uh, it was just that you were the lead fundraiser, headed the committee or something. Yeah, to put I was the lead uh, dog kind of on the baseball stadium and then the president asked me to be kind of the lead dog on the uh, redevelopment of the stadium so i was intimately involved with those projects but so were a lot of other people a lot of other people 
you you could you could have arranged for the uh, Sam Torn dugout. <laughs> no, I probably would have had to arrange for the Sam Torn batting cage. That's what the coach always said. Well, I want to go back if I can to camp because you know, I mean, it's amazing the the the, the time that you guys have been associated with um, Camp Ozark, and I can't help but imagine that the 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 number of kids um, you know who you've come across over the years. Is there any one or two stories that stick out in your mind or your wife's mind just in terms of accomplishment or overcoming a challenge that, that really touched your heart and left a mark on you? There are several, several, uh, several lives have been changed. Uh, certainly, uh, we've seen a lot of growth from a lot of kids. I will tell you one that stands out from several years ago is we had a camper who had no arms wow. uh, from the shoulder down she had no arms and uh, you know we accepted Kate as a camper and she was in the cabin and it was a a blessing to watch Kate to watch her counselors to watch the girls in her cabin uh, bond with Kate she ate with a fork that she clutched in her toe. Wow. She brushed her hair with a hairbrush that she clutched in her toe. Uh, she participated in tribal competition. If you can imagine playing a, a soccer game or running around on a field without the balance and leverage of having any arms. And so uh, Kate was a camper for several years, and it was a, a blessing just to watch how all that went down, you know. And then I guess uh, I had a funny story. Well, the first year I was in, in camp, you know, we have, we always make sure the counselors, uh, you know, make sure the, the good little boys, you know, make sure they take a shower and brush their teeth and wash their hair, kind of stand in for mom, you know. And so I was out back then, we were a lot smaller, and I was out on the baseball field one day, and it started to rain just a little bit. And all of a sudden, this little nine-year-old, boy, I can't remember his name, little nine-year-old boy, all of a sudden his head just started bubbling up, lathering up like it was a huge, huge <laughs> you know, soap head. And he had been washing his hair every night, but he had never rinsed his damn <laughs> started lathering so, You know, there's been lots of humorous incidents, lots of heartwarming incidents, and uh, that's part of what makes it so special to me anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that doesn't surprise me because the first time that my son went to Camp Ozark, uh, you know, my wife did a great job of packing his, his his trunk to make sure that he had everything in Ziploc bags. And and right. when we when when he got home, of course, everything is dirty except for his underwear. He never changed underwear the whole week. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid we try and we try as good as we can. <laughs> In his defense, he oh, said, boy. listen, I'm wearing my swimming suit 90% of the day, so I, I didn't really wear it. That surprised me. So, you know, on, on the faith-based side, the other the other piece that I love when my kids would return home, they're singing all of the songs that they learn at camp. You've had to have seen some some wonderful changes in some kids as they 
grow closer to God during the camping experience. Well, absolutely. I mean, we've seen, and you know, I'm very, uh, uh, I'm very specific and intentional in our spiritual philosophy. It's a very relationally based philosophy. We're, we're an unapologetic Christian camp, but we are not a camp where we're going to pound you over the head with a new Testament as soon as you get there and try and force you to say something or do something that maybe you're not ready to do. I, I think God changes people. I don't think I change people or counselor changes people. I think God changes people. So what's most gratifying to me is to watch college age young people who could be doing a million different things, making 10 times as much money, dedicate themselves to spending 18 to 19 hours a day, uh, you know, well, 24 hours a day with the kids, but, you know, sometimes 16, 17, 18 hours away with the kids and showing the love of Christ through the way they treat the kids. And in that regard, barriers are broken down and ears are ready to hear uh, and eyes are ready to see. And so just watching that process unfold and the impact it has had on child after child after child. We have a, a young man named Ben Monk, who's now on our staff, who started out as a camper. He's a Dallas boy, went to Dallas Jesuit, uh, came through Ozone Ministries, then was a counselor at Camp Ozark, and now is a very, very important point of our leadership team. He will tell you right now, the reason he is who he is is because God changed him through the staff members of Camp Ozark, and through his ozone leader right there in Dallas, Texas. And seeing stories like Ben Monk, which I can pick off by the tens or hundreds, is what really makes the whole thing, you know, know that it's, you know, good things are happening. Yeah, your counselors are, the ones that I've met, are very special people. I mean, they're, they're great kids. There must be a, can you, Explain kind of the vetting process that you go through to make sure that you're getting these top-notch kids to come be counselors at camp. It's the toughest thing we do. It's also the most important thing we do in terms of making sure that Camp Ozark is unique and, and meets our standard of excellence. We have 11 full-time recruiters uh, who go through extensive training on what to look for, how to identify uh, all of those sorts of things. We go to about 50 college campuses from beginning in October and running all the way sometimes to April. We also, with technology, do Skype interviews at another 50 college campuses. So we wind up with about, over the course of the summer, we'll have maybe 750 college students work at Camp Ozark who are identified through a pool of about 2,500 applicants. Wow. And so uh, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long, we invest a lot into it, uh, and we try and get the most we can out of it. But here, here's the great thing. You know, the, the, this generation, you know, they get a lot of knocks this day and time. Let me tell you something. There's a, there's a ton of very intentional, committed Christian 
college students out there who want to make a difference in the world. And one place they can do it is at Camp Ozark. And I'm, I'm very excited about the, this particular generation coming up. Well, that, that leads me to my question, which is, do you think that it's more difficult to um, get to kids today as far as spreading the Word of God versus, let's say, back in the early 90s or late 80s? Or is it the same, but just different, different types of challenges? Well, I think kids are kids. Uh, what goes on around kids, the way they're parented, uh, the things they're exposed to, particularly from a technological standpoint, you know, creates a, uh, you know, some nuances and some differences. Uh, it creates some nuances and differences with our staff. You know, parents, as opposed to 1985 when we first started, you know, parents really want to stay more connected to their children. And, and, you know, so we do some things and, you know, we post over, I can't remember, 1,500 or 2,000 pictures on the Internet every day kind of so parents can stay connected. We have a camper care program now where our camp moms call uh, all first-year parents uh, and after checking on their kids for the first two or three days there and make sure they're doing how they're doing. So, you know, there's some differences. Uh, uh, kids are not allowed to fail as much as they used to. Uh, and so that's why I think the camp is a wonderful place because as wonderful as mom and dad are, and let me tell you something, every time, if you have a discipline problem with a child at camp, every time somehow you can trace it back to some issue with mom and dad. I mean, great parenting is such a blessing kids and such a necessity in today's world but anyway my point is this when kids come to camp they're still kids they're still they still want to have fun they still want to be you know the same thing they still have innocent hearts and innocent eyes and so uh there's there's not a whole lot of difference in how you reach kids there's just some some nuances and so uh, our philosophy for dealing with kids our philosophy for uh, spreading the word of God through the Son Jesus Christ has not changed really one iota. How we do it's changed a little bit, and kids respond the same way. Let me tell you something: kids still love to just have fun. Yeah, you're and instead of being organized and all this and everything they do, you know, they still love to just have some plain old-fashioned fun, and that's what we try to provide. Yeah, and that's I've I've got three children. All three of them go to camp, and it's you know. I think my wife and I are good parents, um, but you know, kids these days with the schedules, uh, whether it be school or athletics or you know any other kind of uh, hobby that they engage in, it's it's very structured and regimented. They're almost like mini adults, and and the one thing that that camp affords them is the, to your point, they can be kids. There's no phone. There's no mom or dad, you know, lording over them. But it's. It you know my wife and I always say you know are we doing too much with these kids um, because it's sad that they have to be a kid when they go to camp as opposed to being a kid here at home. That's a great point and and, and a great question for for today's uh, society in America. You know, are we doing too much for kids in our desire to do everything we can for our kids? Are we sometimes? not allowing them to experience some of the things they're going to need for adulthood. Yeah. You know, I think it's important for kids to 
face adversity while they've still got a loving environment at home. I think it's important for kids to uh, sit on the bench. Yeah. When they're uh, and of course at Camp Ozark we have an all play rule, but but you understand what I'm saying? It's okay yeah. back home every once in a while for a child to sit on the bench and, and understand. Hey, I got to work harder and do this and do better. I, and I think I think it's okay for a child to experience some failure because all those things are part of life. Life is not you know once you leave home, you're in the real real world. Life is not all you know exactly like you want it to be. And, and so if you can learn to deal with the real things that are coming up in life when you're still at home with a mom and dad that can help you through those things and nurture you through those things, you're way better off than if you never, ever experience those things until you're out on your own. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it put great one time of if, if kids in first grade don't learn how to handle first grade problems, they're going to have to learn to do that in second or third grade. If they're not learning how to handle 16-year-old problems when they're 16, they're going to have to handle it later. So when they're out on their own, you know, they're 25 living on their own, if they're still learning problems that they should have learned how to solve in high school, then we're doing them a disservice. They, they definitely need to learn how to fail in a safe environment. Yeah, whoever said that was pretty wise. Yeah, I wish it was that, me. That's well put. <laughs> well put. You know, one of the things I also wanted to touch on is, is uh, I know you do a lot of work with, uh, I'll, I'll say, underprivileged kids. That uh, At your camp, you have a session where a lot of kids that either can't afford it or don't have the means, whatever it is, to go, you have a session for them. Can you talk a little bit about how that started? Sure. Um, you know, most of the kids that come to Camp Ozark or any summer camp, for that matter, are, are, are children of means. They have uh, some at least economic advantages that other kids don't have. There is a segment of society that's disadvantaged. They uh, sometimes live in homes where there's either one parent or no parent, and that has a particular set of issues. And many of those kids are never, ever able to... They, they never go outside of a very urban, uh, blighted environment. So very early, we thought, you know, somehow we want to do what we can to try and provide this type of experience for some kids who otherwise could never provide it, could, could ever have it. And so we just worked, started working very early to be able to identify those kids and just bring them in and about uh, – Oh, I can't remember, 10 or 12 years ago, we, we began this very intentional program of what we call Ozark for All, where we partner with camp families and, and organizations in about 10 cities across the southeast to identify these kids uh, and get them to Camp Ozark uh, at the end of our summer, in the summer, just for these kids. Uh, and it's, it's different. You know, there are some different challenges, some different issues. Some of these kids have never been disciplined. They've never, uh, you know, had boundaries and rules and regulations. But they're still kids, too. And to see the smiles on these kids' faces, particularly ones that can come back year after year after year, uh, just for a week, just to get to experience what they experience for a week, and then uh, compared to what they normally experience, is really one of the most 
satisfying and gratifying parts of what we do. And because of the support that we've had from families for all these years, we're able to do it and we're thankful for that. So how many kids go through uh, that, that camp session for Ozark for All? About 600. Wow. That's fantastic. It's amazing. And can you talk a little bit also about Camp War Eagle? So I know that's a partnership you're in. Can you just share a little bit about uh, your involvement in that and what Camp War Eagle does? Yeah, in 2004, the Walton family, particularly Alice Walton, who's the daughter of Sam Walton, the founder of Walmart, uh, the Walton Family Foundation came to me. Uh, some of Sam Walton's grandchildren had come to Camp Ozark and said, you know, we'd like to do something like this for the underserved population of Northwest Arkansas. Would you like to partner with us? And quite frankly, we had a very uh, lengthy discussion and negotiation because I had certain parameters that were important to me and they had certain parameters that were important to them. But in the end, uh, they uh, partnered with us and we designed, built, and now operate since 2006 Camp War Eagle, which is a camp strictly for underserved children. Uh, we have about 4,500 of those kids that come through Camp War Eagle this summer, and we also do an entire year-round program of uh, after-school programs, summer day camp programs, family uh, counseling, jobs counseling. We do uh, ozone for that particular demographic in several locations up in Northwest Arkansas. And uh, yeah, it's a great, uh, it's been a great benefit to that community. The Walton Family Foundation and particularly Alice Walton have been amazing to work with. Uh, and we're, we feel like we're very blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, it's great to give back to, to those kids and, and help them out. So it's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I'm glad there's people like you doing that. And if I can take us back a little bit, uh, you know, we talked about parenting tips. So you have three kids. and uh, Is it 10 grandkids now? 12. 12. You got an even dozen. I'm, I, yeah. So, you know, and I'm a Texas Aggie, so 12 is a good number for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, 12 <laughs> so, uh, so I'm curious. You, you, so you've, you've raised what at least seem to be very uh, good children. Uh, you've got 12 grandchildren. What parenting tips, especially when you see kids coming through, and, and like you said, you can, you can trace back usually some discipline problems to parenting. What parenting tips would you have? for, uh, well, not just our listeners, but people like Rob and I yeah. have three kids that, that, are, that are still kind of uh, making it up as we go. We're, we're going to turn this into a personal ca counseling session, Sam. Yeah. yeah, well, I doubt if you guys need personal counseling. And I'm not a, a child psychologist or child psychiatrist. I'm just an old broken-down lawyer that, you know, owns and operates a summer camp now. But here's what I would say. The first one sounds simple, but it's the most important, and that's love your kids. And love is sometimes spelled T-I-M-E, uh, not always. But, you know, the, the, the key thing is I don't think people need to worry so much about all whether you're doing this right or that right or, you know, whether your kid is your best friend or not. You just love your kids, and that means you invest in them. You care more about them and what's best for them than you do for so that's, I think that's the first thing. If you can start 
with that foundation of, you know, uh, loving your kids, that's the best thing. Strong marriages are very important to parenting. And, you know, we have a lot of marriages that are not as strong. And so I would tell dads and moms that there's no career, no job opportunity, no social opportunity that's so important as that it affects your marriage. Because kids' insecurities often derive from brokenness in the home. And so a strong marriage is, is very important. You know, spending quality time. Uh, and I understand in this day and time, people have to work and, uh, you know, there's lots of burdens, but, but the time you spend with each and every individual child, you make it quality time. And that's harder to do when you're tired and when you've got a million other things going on, but it's so critical for the child to know, your children to know that you are just focused on them individually. The other thing I would say is, you know, we all want our children to grow up to be the best, Sometimes that can lead to us parents over critiquing our children. Yeah. I would say this, trying to give them five positives for every negative. You've got to be negative sometimes. And when I say negative, constructive, you know, children need boundaries. They need to understand that when they've messed up, there are consequences to those. And that's very important to provide boundaries for kids and consequences for not meeting those boundaries. That's very, very important. But particularly for dads here, particularly for dads, if the dads can praise their children, if the dads can find out what it is their children, you know, it may not be the same thing the dad's interested in, but if they can praise their children and their, their the child knows that the dad thinks the individual child is special, that is where the child, in my opinion, gets their self-esteem. I, I think children get a lot of their security from their mother, particularly very early. But I think children, boys and girls, get a lot of their self-esteem from knowing that dad thinks they are really, really special. The other thing that I think would be important, uh, just off the top of my head, is a strong faith. Yeah. And, and when a child knows you have a real faith, not just a, you know, it's part of, you know, we check the box. And where God is important in the home, and, and they understand that God is a God of love and a God of forgiveness, and a God of grace and a God of mercy, and a God who wants really more good for us than any of us want for ourselves, I, I think uh, that's very important. And here's something else I think is important. When you screw up, and all parents screw up, tell your child you're sorry. March right in their room and say, listen, I really messed up. And then I guess the last thing I would say is uh, raise your child to be who God created them to be, not who you want them to be. You know, every child is unique, and they're not all going to be miniature clones of, of you. Most of the time, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, but but find what is makes your child unique and, you know, what is special about them, and you move to their uniqueness don't try and force them into your who you are so that's kind of scatter shooting i don't know if that made a lot of sense that did that's really good advice it makes a lot of sense so i took that down for everybody listening number one love your kids number two strong marriage number three quality time number four don't over critique I, i heard something about this recently that our kids hear so much negative especially from parents 
that there's got to be some uh, positive self-esteem built, especially coming from the dad. Five was strong faith. Six was it's okay to apologize. We make mistakes. Apologize to your kids. And then, uh, and then seven, which I think is really important, and I think probably for, for dads and boys, we've got to raise our kids to be who God wants them to be, not necessarily who we want them to be. Uh, we may all want our kids to be, uh, you know, quarterback, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what, who our kids are. So we've got to let them be who they are. So I think those are, those are great tips that I need to put in practice. Well, the, the good news is Brett and I can publish your book, uh, The Seven Habits of Effective Parenting. So, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll put you in the footnotes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll be great. Just don't. So, uh, go ahead, Ron. No, no, go ahead, Brett. No, I was just going to say uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this has been a great time, Sam. I yes. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, for. For a man that has had a lot of accomplishments, you were a Yale leader at A&M, you played baseball, you uh, were inducted into the Texas A&M Corps of Cadets Hall of Honor, the uh, owner and CEO of Camp Ozark, and then you started Ozone Ministries, and, and, and I would say that probably your most uh, prized accomplishment is the fact that you have three wonderful kids and, and now 12 grandchildren that uh, are probably the, the apple of your eye. Next to their mother, who's the greatest woman in the history of the universe, I agree with you. Excuse me, what was that, Sam? I said next to their mother, who is the greatest woman in the history of the universe, I agree with that as far as my greatest accomplishment. Convincing my wife to marry me that would be like convince, convincing the Queen of England to marry a pauper, and somehow she agreed to do it, and that is my greatest accomplishment. Everything else flows from that. So, so you're basically what you're saying is that in addition to a parenting book, you could write with your help a dating book. How, how to outkick your coverage. Well, Sam, thank you again. Yes. And, and before we sign off, what I do want to point out again is you are going to be speaking on March 1st at the 5th Annual Dallas Ozone AM Fundraiser at Dallas Country Club. So anybody that's listening, please go to www.ozoneministries.com slash Dallas or ozoneministries.com. Limited seating this year, so please sign up early, and that benefits Ozone Ministries. So, Sam, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, Sam, I appreciate it too. Well, it's been it's been my pleasure as well. Thank you, guys. I appreciate what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, and uh, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys too, as well. Yes, Merry Christmas. Right. Bye bye.